everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth, and this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. I'm praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning dear friends, we are sauntering again today and we're in Genesis chapter 7. So this is the very famous story of Noah as it unfolds in a bit more detail. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at his word and may it speak to our hearts. So Lord Jesus, we love you. We welcome you into our homes today. We ask you to speak to us, change us, challenge us with your word today. Let it be living and active in our hearts in Jesus name. Amen. Fantastic. So let's have a little quick sip of coffee. Good morning, Kathy and Alison and Fran. Great to see you. <laughs> Captain Scorky outside where he belongs. Floor, buenos dias. So we talked a little bit about the um, build up to the flood, didn't we? I just want to say a few things really about that whole, um, the whole topic of the flood. Um, there have been lots of scientific endeavours to try to kind of make sense of the flood narrative and the creation narrative. And I really respect and appreciate all the Christians who've done work to try, you know, the scientists who've done work to try and kind of have a look at the whole thing and try and see how the archaeological evidence and everything <clears throat> stacks up with the the Bible account. Good morning, Nikki. Good morning, Mary. Um, one of the things about the sort of establishment, the science establishment, is that it allows for many, many, many millions of years, long, long, long periods of time from the original beginning of the universe to uh, allow for the evolution of species and everything else to take place. And so the, <clears throat> the whole kind of mainstream scientific view is predicated on long, 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 long passages of time. And uh, it's really interesting. And, you know, you can see why people have arrived at the kind of conclusions they have. And I think, to really, it's probably true to say that um, society needed someone like Charles Darwin to give us a reason to not believe in God further. Do you know what I mean? To kind of eliminate God from the whole process of creation and to have a mechanism in in scientific mainstream thinking that doesn't require a god to be a creator and to bring it all about however the creation of the world the creation of the human race is absolutely central to everything we believe as christians 
it's central to the doctrine of um, Jesus coming and dying for us. It wouldn't be necessary if sin hadn't have come into the world and so on. And all the um, we talked about the prophecies that God gave to Eve when he said the seed, your seed will crush the head of the serpent and so on. And we understand that all of that happened through Jesus. We understand that he is the one who covers our sin and pays for it and enables us to have a relationship with God again. And yet there is something in the heart of the human race that wants to say, I don't believe I don't want to believe in a God who tells me what to do. I don't want to believe in a God who has a moral absolute. I don't want to believe in a God who brings judgment, who might have something to say about the way I want to choose to live my life. I don't believe, I don't want to believe in all of that. I want to do my thing. And so therefore, the kind of Darwin kind of umbrella of thinking scientifically does give that perfect opportunity for that kind of thinking to thrive. And of course, we're in a fairly developed stage of that now in our society where people think that pretty much anything they want to do is fine because there is no real moral absolute. And yet when you push people, they all think there is. It's interesting. So, however, so um, saying all of that, there have been scientific um, endeavours by Christians and non-Christians Bible believers and non-believers who have kind of looked into the possibility of there being a global flood. And there is one guy who's called Robert Ballard, who's an underwater um, archaeologist who found the wreck of the Titanic. And he certainly says there was it. There is a lot of evidence to suggest there was a flood, a cataclysmic flood that happened on the earth around about 5,000 years ago. Well, that would fit pretty well with the chronology of the Genesis account. So the timings uh, of the Genesis account. So that's interesting. He, He has done some work in the Black Sea region and found ancient shorelines that are completely underwater now. And he's I don't know how far he's got on with that, but he's been publishing things and putting videos up and so on. But he's a mainstream kind of not as far as I know, Christian um, archaeologist. It's interesting whenever Christians put anything forward that it's kind of dismissed and poo pooed and sniggered at. Um, But I think probably the problem with um, the, you know, there have been Christian, there have been people who've gone on expeditions to find the Ark, for example and have found remains, so they say, but yet there's still um, a need for convincing evidence to be presented so that the scientific establishment comes on board with that. Um, You can see many aerial photographs of what appears to be the hull of a ship or like the shape of a hull of a ship on the top of a mountain in Turkey. And so, you know, that would fit. All of those things are interesting but they're not necessary any more than the Turin Shroud is necessary to prove to us that Jesus rose from the dead because we know he's risen from the dead because he's still changing people's lives today, 2,000 years on. And so um, there is a certain amount of, yes, I'm really interested in scientific discoveries that help to corroborate these stories, but I'm also happy to believe it on faith because the many promises of Jesus have become true in my life and so therefore and he believed in the genesis story so you know there we go 
so <clears throat> um, it's really interesting as well to say that there are 200, it's been said that there are 200 cultures around the world stretching from Papua New Guinea to Alaska to Arizona um, and, oh gosh, Australia, Wales, Siberia, all with the story of a cataclysmic flood, a global flood. There's an ancient story from, uh, gosh, Mesopotamia um, of called the Epic of Gilgamesh. And there a guy hears from one of the gods that there is going to be a flood and he builds a big boat and saves the animals and his family and so on. And something like 89% of these flood stories say that there was a favoured family that was saved, which is really interesting, isn't it? Um, this is just what I read this morning. 70% say that this saving was done through the use of a boat. 66% of the stories of this 200 known flood stories in ancient kind of folklore, mythology, whatever you want to say, um, culture, um, say that the, the flood came because of the wickedness of the human race. So it's really interesting, isn't it, that that is so prevalent in ancient cultures and yet so resisted by modern culture because we know it all because we're so smart. So here we go. Genesis chapter seven. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous. So I think Noah finished building the ark. Oh, it tells us in a second. So we'll get there in a sec. So for I've seen that you're righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals. Now, that's an interesting one because we learn about clean and unclean um, later on in the Bible as God gives the law to Moses and he says, look, there's certain types of animals that I do want you, you're, I'm happy for you to eat, and there's ones I don't want you to eat because I'm calling them unclean. Now, God had a reason for that. People have tried to think what that reason might be, such as pork was full of tapeworm until very recently, and so it was kind of a bit of a bad thing to eat. But the, um, anyway, so there were certain animals that were God considered clean and certain ones he considered unclean. So he said, right, take seven pairs of those. So you, the two by two thing is great. Do that with everything else. But with the, the um, cows and sheep and stuff like that, bring seven pairs of them because you need to eat something on this ship. And so uh, where are we? So the male... So take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female. Interestingly to say, the tale of the Epic of Gilgamesh has the same scenario with the re sending out the raven and sending out the dove at the end, you know, when the ship comes to rest on the land, which is so interesting, isn't it? That the, the, the similarity is so close. Right. So he says, uh, take with you seven pairs of birds. Where are we? I've lost my place. Um, to the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing 
that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. That is a great statement. If you forget everything else, remember that one. Noah did everything the Lord commanded him. When God's talking to us, let us do everything he commands us to do. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. It's disobedience. You know that, don't you? Just to clarify, partial obedience is actually disobedience. Um, incomplete. So, and Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah, you imagine if Noah decided, oh, I'm going to miss a bit out of the ark. It probably would have sunk. Noah was 600 years old. How about that? When the flood of the waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives came with him. Sorry, with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of every living thing that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. That is a moment because we... Um, we read what happened just now. So God's, Noah's got all these animals there with him. He's got his wife and his sons and their wives and they're all ensconced on the ark, probably looking at each other thinking what happens now. And in the, so in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, this is very specific and I think it's some I heard someone say recently that the Bible is so precise in these dates and these times and these this these chronologies that you have to say, why would it be so precise if it was just an oral tradition of kind of myths that were passed down? Why would these very specific details of Noah's age be included in the story and preserved for all time? like they are what what would the point of that be if they were just false if they were if it, all of this was just a fabrication you would just say oh yeah there was this big flood and god told this special guy to build a boat and get on it with all the animals and it was so lovely but no this is actually very specific and very exact about the time and detail of noah's life and it's interesting actually that the history of the world is told through the human paradigm. It's told through the perspective of families. Now, this is Yahweh, the God of covenant, the God of relationship, who's dealing with Moses, who's dealing with Adam and Eve, who's dealing with Seth and Abel and all of these people and Cain. This is the God of covenant. And so he's telling the story of the earth through the families that live on it, that he's placed on it. This is so interesting. God is the father from whom all earthly families derive their name. Okay, so in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, let me just say something about windows of heaven. Let me have a little sip of coffee. Right. 
Windows of heaven is a metaphor. It's not to be taken literally, oh, there are windows in heaven and God just chucked a load of water out through these windows. No, this is a metaphor and the fountains of the great deep. He's describing something cataclysmic that has never happened before. That is, uh, what possible way can I explain this? It's like we go out and we say, oh boy, it's raining cats and dogs. It's steroids. You know, we have these kind of things that we, we say about the weather and it's like literally it's the heavens opened. We say that, don't we? The heavens opened. We use that same language today. This is what he's describing. The heavens opened. This is very different to saying on this particular day of Noah's life, this thing happened. OK, it's like me saying on my 50th birthday, the heavens opened. It was insane. It was torrential. Do you know what I mean? And it's different. But we, we kind of use we it's not unusual for us to use an exact reference in amongst some kind of metaphor and stuff as well. So I think just just hang in there with it. <laughs> and rain fell upon the earth 40 days from 40 nights. 40 days and 40 nights always seems to have a significance in the Bible. You remember Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. There are many other times we can see the 40 days and 40 nights thing. And it's um, it's a kind of significant number. When the Israelites wandered around in the wilderness, it was for 40 years. And it's to do with God testing. And it's a time of testing and sorting out and sifting through and purging and cleansing and all of those things. Right. Whew. Hang in there. So and rain. So verse 13, on the very same day, Noah, Shem, Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. That's amazing. So this is quite um, emphatic. It was every creature. And I think sometimes that boggles our minds because we think, how could they all get in this boat? It's actually quite a big boat and it had different floors and stuff. And some animals are very, very tiny. Some animals are very small. Some people want to know what happened to the dinosaurs and everything else. I can genuinely say I do not have a good answer for that. So I'm not going to try. I am just going to say, however, that the swirling up of all of that water would have created a huge amount of sediment. There would have been a lot of dead animals lying at the bottom of this flood. And the sediment and the torrents and everything else would have settled down and the smaller animals would have been at the top and the big ones at the bottom. One of the things you see with fossils is that the most delicate, ephemeral creatures like dragonflies and leaves of ferns and stuff like this, we see um, as fossils. When a, when a dragonfly dies today, it just disintegrates over a matter of a few maybe hours or maybe days but its body is 
rarely found assembled. You don't go along and find a whole dead dragonfly so often. Odd occasions, you might find one stuck in a cobweb or something like that. But they tend to get smashed up pretty quick because they're so fragile. But in, in the fossil record, it's so interesting because we do see these most fragile creatures preserved in fossils. And bats with their tiny, frail, little tiny bones that go out into their wings and ferns and leaves and kind of all kinds of things like that, which is interesting. And you can speculate and people have said that the flood does account for the fossil record. That's an interesting theory, which, yeah, it doesn't account for the, the dating issues, but that's another question which someone else will have to solve, not me. So, and the Lord shut him in. Verse 17, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. Now that's interesting, all the high mountains this does seem to be more than just a localised event in a particular region near the Black Sea from and the Mediterranean area and all of that. It does seem to be more global. It certainly, well, the Bible says it was global. Or it says it covered the whole earth, which makes it global, as far as I'm concerned. There is this guy who I mentioned earlier, Robert Ballard. He lives in Connecticut, which is down on the south uh, east of the USA and he said that back in the day there was a mile of ice above where he lives a mile of ice and it stretched back to the North Pole that's a big old ice cube that's a lot of ice isn't it now if, if that melted it's got to go somewhere hasn't it so when it says it talks about these kind of flood waters being released and everything else I don't know Many, many scientific um, experts would laugh at the idea of the mountains being covered with water. But it's amazing where you find rocks with fossilised sea creatures in, isn't it? Anyway, more. You can speculate on that as much as you like and make comments. Thank you for the comments we have had already. Just make sure we're kind to each other if we disagree but it's okay to disagree. Let me just say that. Whoa, right, where are we? So the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that the high mountain, all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them with 15 cubits deep. That's deep. That is, a uh, cubit is about 18 inches, so 15 cubits. That's, I don't know how many, how far that is. Um, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. So that's not the fish, that's everything else. It's all the kind of land-dwelling creatures that, that had the breath of life in them died. So all flesh, Bashar. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and only those who were with him in the ark 
and the waters prevailed on the earth a hundred and fifty days. Wow. We have made the story of Noah's Ark cute by making little wooden arcs. I think I might have said something like this yesterday. We've made it cute, have little wooden creatures and arcs and stuff and give them to children and we decorate nurseries with Noah's Ark and we decorate Sunday school rooms with Noah's Ark and the bird going out the window and all the rest of it. And it is a lovely story in one sense, but it's a powerful depiction of God's judgment on the earth. It's a powerful metaphor for the salvation that Jesus wants to give, not to just one family, but to everyone who will take him up on his offer. He has created the ark in the person of Jesus. And so those of us who come to him for forgiveness, in repentance from our sin, and we say, God, yes, I'm guilty of sin against you, then Jesus, will you forgive me? The purpose of Jesus' coming was to make a way for us to be saved from the judgment that God will bring ultimately on the human race. You see, we are without excuse. He's demonstrated his handiwork all around us. We see it every day. When we look up into the sky, even if you live in the concrete jungle, you look up, you see the sky that God made that. And so there is the door right now of Jesus' ark is open, but there will come a time, I'm sad to say, when that door will be closed, that opportunity to be saved will be gone. And for some, it will just be when we die. For others, it will be maybe we'll be alive when Jesus returns. And then the opportunity to believe and respond to his offer has closed. So, ladies and gentlemen, Anyone who's watching, anyone who's got ears to hear, as Jesus would say, let him hear. The opportunity, the offer is there. Don't read the book of the, the story of Noah and think, oh my, that's so cute. Or, the, or don't just dismiss it and say, what a load of non-scientific garbage. Actually, I believe more and more as we go along, there will be bits and pieces of evidence that will help to reinforce the story but nonetheless I'm not counting on that because I, I believe that this story is here to instruct us and to point us towards the salvation of God in Jesus the beautiful beautiful lovely modern version of Noah's Ark which will fit everybody who believes in wow how about that hi Emily hi Wills Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for today and for all the opportunities you're putting in front of us today. Bless us, Lord, and watch over each one of us and keep us safe in you. Lord, protect each one from COVID. In Jesus' name, bless our families. Watch over us. Thank you, Lord. Have an amazing day. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful 
rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him. But more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.